if you've been with us the last two or three weeks, so let me first invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 126. Uh, let me also remind you that we stick around a little bit after the sermon, and we, we knock around some questions and some comments. So at any point during the sermon, if you want to send in a question, you can do that or a comment. And then uh, after the benediction, we'll take a few minutes to discuss whatever may be on your mind. Uh, this morning's uh, emotion that we're going to talk about, we were asking kind of how we're feeling, and we're looking uh, at emotions. We did an overview a couple weeks ago last week. We looked at godly sorrow that, that moves us to repentance. This morning, I had planned to speak on joy, and as the events of this week unfolded, that began to seem out of place to me, uh, as you and I both witnessed uh, the tragic uh, death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, and what seems to be uh, a terrible injustice uh, as our nation has reacted uh, in, in many ways in sadness, uh, in some ways in, in anger. Uh, it seems like joy probably was the wrong thing to talk about, but as I prayed and as I thought and as I talked with you know, a handful of folks, uh, it seemed to me that what I needed to talk about from God's word was not just specifically joy, but actually what I'm going to call this morning the journey of joy. Uh, and the journey takes us through, as we're going to see in a few moments, difficult times, difficult circumstances, situations that don't seem to have any easy answers that make us just kind of want to sit down and cry or pull our hair out and say, Lord, how much longer uh, will this type of experience go on? And so we're going to stay with joy but maybe uh, move that in a slightly different direction. Uh, before we do that, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whether you're by yourself or with your spouse or with your family, uh, maybe uh, a friend at the appropriate social distance, uh, to take a moment of prayer. And you can pray out loud together. You can pray silently. Uh, but pray specifically for our nation. Pray specifically uh, for God's justice, for God's mercy uh, to be of our hearts and pray that God would show us. I've been praying that God would show me what more can I do? How can I be of a greater influence for the cause of your justice, Father, and your mercy? So I'm going to take a moment here just of silent prayer uh, for myself, and then I'll, I'll, I'll close out that time of prayer, and we will we'll get into the teaching time. So let's pray together. Father, this is uh, one of those moments where uh, we have so many more questions than we have answers. Lord, I am feeling personally frustrated and sad, helpless. What can one person do uh, in the face of such awful uh, injustice? So, Lord, we cry out to you this morning. We're going to see that prayer is, is part of our journey of joy. So, Lord, we, we lay out our, uh, our lament to you this morning, asking, Father, that your spirit and your word would fill our hearts and our minds, that we would be used by you to create your kingdom here on earth, which is a kingdom that is filled with justice and mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness. It's a kingdom that is void of evil and bigotry and racism and greed and lust and, and all the things that drag us down. Lord Jesus, you haven't returned a second time yet to establish your kingdom. Uh, we pray that you would do that and do that quickly. But in the meantime, we pray that you would lead us 
into moments and, 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 and spaces where we can speak your truth with mercy and with tenderness and with kindness, that you would use us to make a difference in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as I said, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 126, and we're going to read that in just a second. But let me start out by asking you a question. When you think of joyful moments in your life, when you think of experiences or circumstances in which you found yourself uh, that you would consider joyful, what images come to mind? Perhaps uh, if you're a parent, you think about uh, the birth of a child, or maybe if you had several children, a birth of, of your children, maybe your grandparent now, and you're thinking about the birth of a grandchild. You think about that moment when you get the news, or, or the mom and dad, when, when, when it's done and, and the little one has arrived. Perhaps you think of an accomplishment. I, I going to be tough for me to go without thinking about the St. Louis Blues, but you think about that moment when uh, the battle's over and the victory has been won, perhaps a, a culmination of hard work or even the end of a difficult battle, that uh, black and white picture uh, that you're seeing this morning uh, are two people in August of 1945 uh, when they discovered that when the world uh, discovered or heard the announcement that the Second World War had come to an end when Japan uh, was unconditionally uh, surrendering. Those two people, that's George and Greta, they never met each other. Uh, George had been out celebrating, he had just learned the news, uh, and in his exuberance he grabbed a young woman who he thought was a nurse. It turns out she worked for uh, a local dentist in Manhattan, uh, and in their exuberance they came together, uh, you know, in a way that, that probably certainly isn't appropriate, uh, but the, the joy of the moment just caught them. Uh, and there happened to be a Time Life reporter there who captured that uh, on, on film. And they were just absolutely overwhelmed with joy uh, because the fighting had ceased. Where are your joyful moments? What I want to suggest this morning is that, that part of joy is relief of a battle fought or a hardship survived. I'm going to suggest this morning that the, the notion of joy is not taking place in a vacuum. I can have a joyful moment, you know, just sitting on my front porch uh, and enjoying a, uh, an evening breeze, perhaps, like I, I did last night and reading a book. Uh, but when I think about the moments in my life where joy really stands out, uh, what I feel is it comes at a moment after the struggle. And so that's how we want to look at joy this morning, and I, I believe that's how Psalm 126 explains joy to us. So hear the word of God uh, from the psalmist. This was probably written during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. It might have been written, actually, uh, by one of them, if it were. Probably Ezra is the better uh, guess. Uh, but this is after the return from the Babylonian captivity, 70 years of captivity, and they have now been freed. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come back home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray one more time together. Father, we pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon in a sentence this morning says this. For Jesus' disciples, joy is often a result of seeing God's faithfulness through difficult and challenging circumstances. For Jesus' disciples, so we're talking about those of us who have put our faith in Christ, our joy is often the result of seeing God's faithfulness 
through difficult or challenging circumstances. That is certainly uh, the story of Psalm 126, and I believe it's the story of other uh, places in Scripture, and I also believe if we stop and think about it for a moment, it's our story as well, this journey of joy. So we're going to look at this four different ways this morning. We're going to look at the story, then we're going to look at the song, then we're going to look at the prayer, and then we're going to look at the promise. Let's begin with the story that is that is being spoken of in Psalm 126. In verses 1 and 2, we read this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. So something had been broken, something had been lost, and now it had been restored. We were like those in a dream. In other words, we were overwhelmed. We were astounded. We couldn't believe it was true. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So if we, if we, if we pick this story apart a little bit, uh, I think we can see a handful of things. The first thing we see is, is there's a glorious part to the story. There's an amazing experience that has happened. And for the nation of Israel, if you go back in their history, very simply, uh, they had been enslaved in Egypt. And, and, and over the course of, of 400 years, uh, they had been enslaved uh, in that nation. It's interesting that, that slavery came to the United States about 400 years ago. Think of slavery were still going on today, and, and the remnants of it certainly are still around, but, but that's how long the slavery uh, had lasted, and now they're free. Think of that glory. Think of the exodus. Think of that moment, and then not only being set free, but being sent to the promised land, to be given a land that, as the Bible describes it, flows with milk and honey. Again, that's where you, you almost, you get to that spot, and you say, this is too good to be true, and then ultimately the nation, as it settles into the land, as it begins to, to, to do life, uh, you see uh, the nation take root, but then you eventually see the, 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 the king put in place. And the first king, Saul, didn't do a great job, but then David really begins to move Israel uh, in a wonderful direction, and ultimately it, it reaches its pinnacle under King Solomon. There's, there's a glorious part of this story that speaks of God's faithfulness that speaks of God's care for his people. But this is also a story not only of glory, it's a story of tragedy. It's a story of a people who rebelled against their God. It's a story of a people who turned their backs on their Lord. And so you go from, from David and Solomon to a people who forget God is, is really the way that Scripture uh, says it, and, and they experience a self-implosion. They, they, they bring this problem upon themselves. Their rejection of God led them to believe in things that weren't true, led them to worship idols and false gods, much like you and I tend to worship things that we think will bring us happiness in our day and in our lifetime. So the people of Israel forgot God. They began to think that they had, they had done all this themselves. And really what they ended up doing was worshiping themselves. And God had promised them that if, if they turned their back, there would be severe consequences and tragedy struck. ...of Israel and ultimately the nation uh, of Judah were sent into uh, exile, were, were a conquered people. And so we have this glorious moment, but also there's a moment of tragedy. And God has said, I'm, you're going to experience 70 years uh, in captivity, 70 years as a conquered people. And at the end of that 70 years, the story continues to unfold. But now we see not glory and not tragedy, but we see redemption. God begins to restore the people of Israel. And that's why the psalmist says, when, when, we, were, when we were back in Jerusalem, we were walking around like folks who dream." Because the story had gone from tragedy to redemption. The exiles were returning. If we could go to that next slide, uh, if possible. And what we see here is God's bringing his people back into fellowship with him. And so under Ezra and then, and then under Nehemiah as well, uh, the fortunes begin to change. The story begins to go in a direction that bring God and his people back together again. So the glory, the tragedy, and the redemption, and as I look at the psalm and as I listen to that and I, and I read that and I think about it, I would say that there's some of my story wrapped up in that. My story can be similar to that. I, I've received God's grace. 
I've received God's promises. I, I've benefited from the Lord, and yet I struggle. There, there are moments of, of difficulty. There are setbacks. There are even moments of unbelief. There are moments when I, when I lose my focus on God and I, and I sin against him. And, and those are tragic moments. Those are moments that hurt me. There are moments that can hurt the people around me. And yet there's also healing and relief. Uh, there's restoration. And joy is part of that story. And so I think it's important that we see that, that joy uh, is something that can ebb and flow in our lives, sometimes based on our own choices, sometimes based on the circumstances around us over, over which we have no control. But that joy can come to the disciples of Jesus as we see our story unfold. Secondly, where does that joy then lead? Well, I think it leads uh, to a song. If you look at verse 3, verse 3 says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. This is, this is a song of joy. This is a song that the people are singing together about what God has done for them. So the first thing I want us to notice here is that this song is focused on God. The song is not focused on our experiences. The song is not focused on our circumstances. I will be happy if I have enough. Uh, I will be happy if the right person loves me. I will be joyful if, if everybody gets on board and, and does the right thing. The people focus on the Lord before they talk about the great things. Where's my focus this morning? Where is yours? I am uh, embarrassed to say that more often than not, my emotion of joy is based on my circumstances, is based on whether I feel some level of comfort, whether I feel loved by another person. I don't always feel joy in the sense of being able to care for another. My focus in those moments is, is not on God. If joy is going to be something that is, that, is, that is living in my heart on a more regular basis than not, it's going to be because my focus is on my God. And so the song starts out, the Lord has done great things for us. We, we, have, uh, we have lengthy discussions in our worship planning meetings sometimes about the songs we sing on Sunday morning. So uh, when, when we show up together here, which hopefully we're going to be able to do at some point in July, that's our, our hope and our prayer and our plan uh, in a limited way. So i not just going to all rush back in, but we hope to begin to be back together uh, this summer. But we think a lot about what does this song say? Uh, because there are a lot of quote-unquote worship songs out there that actually speak more about us than God. And while we want to certainly include ourselves in the worship, we want to talk about our hearts overflowing with, with joy or with prayers uh, or, or with calling out to the Lord, we want the Lord always to be the focus. Is God the focus of my joy? If he is, then I can also take joy in what he does the results that only he can accomplish. The Lord has done what? He's done great things for us. We are glad. These great things are the, the return of the exiles in this particular psalm uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, but our song can be a song of joy as well because of what God has done for us, whether it's a Green Tree Community Church or, or another uh, worshiping group uh, in this city or, or around the world, we can rejoice when we see the kingdom of God moving forward, because God does do great things. He doesn't do them necessarily uh, the way I direct him to, because he's God and I'm not. And so I have to be careful in my song to understand that that song is also a song of submission. It's saying, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And we will measure greatness by what you do, not what we do. The story is a story that flows. The song is also a song that flows. And my prayer is that it's our song as well this morning. But as a, as a story unfolds and as worship unfolds, we move from a song to prayer. And in verse 4, uh, we see the people uh, offering a prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, some of your translations have a V on the end of that. It's not Negev, it's Negev. Both of those are, are the same place. Uh, they just, in the ancient Hebrew, they were, they were written and pronounced in two different ways. But the notion here is that the people are coming back into Jerusalem, and, and now they're, they're ground zero, and they're starting to rebuild. 
and they focus their prayer on the one who can restore them. They don't say, okay, guys, let's roll up our sleeves. I have my sleeves kind of rolled up this morning. Let's roll up our sleeves and get after it because the only great thing that's going to be accomplished is what we get done. Uh, hopefully some wonderful things happen on 2028, but it will be because God is working through us. And so the prayer is directed to God. It's not self-centered saying, let's fight hard. Rather, it's a cry to God. Restore fortunes. Uh, put us in a right relationship with you. We, we are now coming and acknowledging your lordship in our lives. We want to follow you. We want to trust in you. But, but why this language uh, of the negative, which is way to the south? If you, go to the, if you have a Bible and you go to back, the back of it and you look at all those maps, go to an Old Testament map and you'll see uh, you've got Egypt down here and you've got Israel up here and this dry, desolate place in between. That Part of that is the negative. And why is it that we're talking about streams in the Negev? And the picture you see on your screen is actually one of those, one of those streams. Uh, I'm going to read for you what one commentator mentioned because I think it, it helps us understand uh, the, the heart behind this prayer, uh, that there's something about the streams of the Negev that are different perhaps than another stream. Hear these words. In this beautiful and beloved psalm, the return of the exiles to Israel is compared to the water courses in the Negev. Why the negative, not simply the desert? The negative streams come from collecting basins incomparably larger than those of the Judean desert. When rain falls on the negative mountains, water begins to flow into hundreds of tiny rivulets that drain into dozens of larger water sources. They carry the water into ever-growing strength to larger streams that can reach several hundred meters in width. This picture, myriad of tiny rivulets coming together from a distant area to form powerful streams is surely what inspired the psalmist to pray for the ingathering of the exiles from the four corners of the earth like water courses in the Negev. What the psalmist is, is praying for is all the different streams that God can create. I think sometimes my prayer life is limited by my own imagination. I just can't picture God doing X. And I've, and I've thought a lot about that this week. Is it really possible for this nation to experience some level of racial healing that actually makes a difference in the way we treat each other? And I, and I found myself saying, you know, don't imagine that because you'll only be disappointed. Where, where is my faith this morning? Am, am I even willing to pray the prayer and believe, God, your fingers can reach every corner, every person. You, you can gather the most unbelieving people together and build your kingdom in a way that affects every corner of our culture. The problem is not with God's faithfulness. It's with my lack of faith and trust in him. Part of my story is I need to learn to pray as a person of faith. Maybe you're experiencing that emotion as well this morning. Well, if we're going to grow in that prayer, uh, it would be wise for us, I think, to look at this fourth uh, picture this morning, which is actually not a promise, but a twofold promise that we find in the last two verses of Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The first promise is this. First promise is there'll be hardship. The metaphor that, that's used here is someone who, who's weeping because they're going out to sow and, and to bear all these seeds. I, I found this picture of, of this guy farming. And if you've ever carried full water buckets, you know how bad his back's going to hurt by the time he's done with work tonight. He, he's going he's gonna to limp back to the house. I, I've been doing lots of yard work the last month because I've been around the house more than ever, and I have some moments where my back is, is pretty sore. I go out to, to do a job, and, and I kind of am going weeping because I know it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. I remember... Uh, Cindy's extended families from Minnesota. I remember the first time we went to Minnesota for a family vacation back uh, in 1995. Nathan or 1985. Nathan was two years old, 
And uh, we're sitting around the dinner table the second night there, and Grandpa looks at Uncle Denny, and he says, you know, tomorrow we ought to tear that corn crib down. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about a farm of corn crib, think about a silo, which is a, a, a cylinder, large cylinder that's probably three, four stories tall that you put uh, crops in, uh, uh, typically corn or, or wheat. So a corn crib is about half that size, but it's still a cylinder, and a lot of farmers have them in their own on their own property. And Grandpa says, you know, I'm not using that corn crib anymore. We ought to tear that corn crib down. And Uncle Denny says, yeah, we probably ought to do that. We got, you know, we got, got a lot of folks visiting the farm. We could, we could probably get that done tomorrow. So fast forward to about the time the sun begins to barely crack the sky in Minnesota in the month of July. For those of you that don't know what time that is, that's roughly 4.50 in the morning. And the next morning, roughly 4.50, I sat bolt up in bed because there was a tractor going by my window of my room in the farmhouse, and I realized I was already late to work. So I quick threw on my clothes, my wife laughing at me as she woke up for all of 20 seconds, said, hey, have fun working today, rolled over, went back to sleep, and I rushed out. And, and so at 5 a.m., about a half a dozen of us started this job of tearing down the corn crib. We were done by 10 a.m. Five hours later, we had accomplished this work, and I was exhausted, and it was only 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it was hard. It was tough. We got it done, and we were happy when we got it done. There were some shouts of joy, but boy, oh, boy, were we kind of weeping through the process. There are moments of stress in our life. There are moments when it just hurts. There are moments when the emotion is fear. The sense is failure. The hurt is just very, very deep. And I think it's wise for us to notice that Scripture knows that. God doesn't expect us to be superhuman. The Lord doesn't, doesn't think that you're going to have all the answers and that you're never going to lack faith, that you're never going to go through trials. In fact, as we're going to see in a moment, the Lord Jesus himself went through terrible trials uh, in order to be an example for you and me. I appreciate the fact that, that the metaphor shows that the reality of life emotionally speaking, can be very, very difficult. Is there hope in the fact that there will be hardship? Well, the facts are what we go out weeping is going to return uh, a good crop. And so we see that those who go out to do, to do the battle, they come back with shouts of joy. The one who goes out weeping, uh, bearing the seed for sowing, uh, comes home again with shouts of joy. We have hope because God is going to produce a good crop in our life. He's going to produce godliness. He's going to grow your trust in my trust in him. He's going to plant the seeds of love and obedience and joy, and he's going to grow them in our lives. But that growth process is difficult. That growth process is a huge challenge. I want to read for you this morning uh, just a quick comment about this part of the journey uh, to remind us that, that there will be joy, which will, that's the second promise, but to remind us how that journey unfolds in light of this psalm. The best way to understand the dynamics of suffering is to examine the classic work of St. John of the Cross entitled The Dark Night of the Soul, written over 500 years ago. St. John describes the spiritual journey in three phases, beginners, progressives, and perfect. To move out into the beginning, out of the beginning stage, he argues, uh, requires receiving God's gift of the dark night of the soul. This is the ordinary way we grow in Christ. The dark night of the soul is God's way of rewiring and purging our affections and passions so that we might delight in his love and enter into a richer and fuller communion with him. God works to free us from unhealthy worldly attachments and idolatries. He wants to communicate his true sweetness and love to us. He longs for us to know his true peace and rest. For this reason, John of the Cross wrote that God sends us the dark night of loving fire to free us from such deadly spiritual imperfections as pride, being judgmental and impatient with the faults of others. Avarice, suffering discontentment, luxury, 
taking more pleasure in our spiritual blessings than in God himself. Wrath, becoming easily irritated or impatient with others. Spiritual gluttony, resisting the cross. Spiritual envy, always comparing ourselves to others. And sloth, running away from what is hard. In other words, the precursor to joy, often for the Christian, is the journey through the struggle, the dark night of the soul. But as you see God being faithful, and sometimes that the, 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 the realization of God's faithfulness doesn't come in a moment. It doesn't come at the end of the day. It doesn't come after a couple of weeks. There are times when that realization is years in developing. So I, I, I don't want you to, to lean towards hopelessness, but rather I want you to give yourself room for a little bit of patience to know that this is a progress, that this is a work, that this is something that unfolds. If you're in a dark night of the soul at this moment, don't kick yourself because you're having a problem seeing God's work in your life or experiencing any joy whatsoever. Trust God that he knows the hurt in your heart and allow him to do that work. Because the second promise is eventually, and sometimes it does come in a moment. Sometimes it does come in an hour, a day, or a week. But eventually, there will be joy. Let's go back to verses 5 and 6. They shall reap with shouts of joy. That's what they're going to do. They're coming home with shouts of joy. There will be joy. Why? Because the harvest, God's growing spiritual strength within us. And ultimately, he brings us home. How do we know that? How do you know that this morning, that even in the midst of, uh, of a difficult circumstances, if that's where you are this morning, and, and, and for I think all, all of us, COVID has done some of that. How do we know that I can be on this journey uh, of joy? Well, it's because Jesus went before us. It's because what he experienced, what you're seeing on your screen right now, was his journey into the dark night of the soul. Hear the, hear the words of the author of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some translations say the champion of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, went through the experience of the cross, despising the shame, and where is he now? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. My journey of joy, including the moments of despair, the moments that feel hopeless, are actually following in the footsteps of Jesus. What did Jesus cry from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the humanity of Jesus couldn't see the beginning from the end. He felt eternally lost. His emotion at that moment was utter and complete hopelessness and despair. And yet a little while later, he was able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished because he knew the faithfulness of God would see him through. And so your journey, my journey, allows us to know that even in the hardship, there will come a moment of joy and ultimately we will experience perfect joy. One of my favorite verses in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry I keep messing with my microphone, but I've, I've got a little snap on it this morning that's broken. Uh, the author of, uh, of 1 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, tries to put into context how great this joy is going to be, how amazing this joy is going to be. And he says this, as it is written, and now he quotes the prophet Isaiah, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even imagine is what Paul says. And Paul's talking about hardship. He's talking about challenges. He's talking about difficulties. 
He's talking about the, the things that are that are that are seem so impossible. James does the same thing in, in the first chapter of his letter. Peter does the same thing uh, in the words of, of his letters to his followers. You're going through hardships, you're going through struggle, you're going through difficulty, but ultimately know that the Lord Jesus goes before you. Know that he's creating within you a spiritual character that will grow and be strengthened, and know that there will come a perfect joy. How do we apply this passage this morning? Let me remind us of the sermon of sentence. For Jesus' disciples, joy often is a result of seeing God's faithfulness through difficult and challenging circumstances. So I think there's a couple things we could do. First is this. I think we have to ask ourselves an honest question. Where am I in the journey? Where you are in the journey this morning might not be where your spouse is or where you are in the journey this morning might not be where your mom and dad are in the journey or, or your next door neighbor. Uh, and, I, and I've used this term and I'm going to continue to use this term. I'm probably going to wear it out. Uh, you got to give yourself permission to be self-curious, to really sit down and ask yourself, where am I in the journey? You have to pretend it's all good if it's not. We all know it anyway if we're around you for 10 minutes. You know that about me when you're around me. If things aren't well and I say they're fine, you, you, if you know me well, you know that's not right. Give yourself permission to do some deep examination. And if you're in that dark night, if you're in that moment where it seems hopeless, it seems despairing, ask for care. I, one of the things I love about Green Tree, and, and you could be on the other side of the world, and with all the virtual stuff we have now, we can care for you wherever you are if you have a little bit of technology. Uh, next week, we're going to roll out a, a very active program where you can engage with our Stephen ministers. Just as we say at the end of the service, we'd like you to come forward for prayer. We're going to start being able to do that next week in a virtual way. But even before then, if you find yourself in need of prayer, reach out. The, the church office is, is back open for business, quasi, but we're taking phone calls. Call the church office. Send me an email. Reach out to a Stephen minister. There are plenty of folks here that would love to care well for you. Let us know that we could care for you. And then second application would be this. Am I in a place of, of, of peace? Am I in a place of some joy in my life? Can I be careful to look around and see those around me who might need my care? The second application is that we look out for each other, that we care for one another, that we consider others more important than ourselves. How, how crucial is that? right now in our nation, but that can start with you and me. If, if I'm in a place, uh, I, the Lord's brought me to a place of, of strength in this moment and being able to care for others, part of what I could do is look around and say, how can I care for you? Joy is not just momentary and it's not just fleeting. Joy is a journey. Ultimately, that leads us face to face to the Lord Jesus. In the meantime, may we be a people who are on the journey of joy. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for this word because it is not flippant. It does not ignore the pain, the weeping of our lives, the dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross called it. It freely acknowledges the difficulties. Some of them we bring on ourselves. The people of Israel brought much of that on themselves by rebelling against you. Lord, we can be a rebellious people. Uh, Father, there are also circumstances, living in a broken world, an unexpected illness, loss of employment, death of a loved one, uh, tragic events in our, in our, in our community uh, that we saw with, with George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis this last week that leave us dumbstruck, that leave us reeling uh, and, and nowhere near joy. In those moments, Father, help us to be honest, to acknowledge that emotion and to seek out your care. Maybe just open our Bible and, and read Psalm 126 and be reminded that weeping is part of it, but also that you do promise joy. You do promise that a relationship with you brings us to a place of contentment and peace and thankfulness and harmony. So, Father, as you create that in our lives, may we share it with one another until the day we see you and your glory and we see our Lord Jesus face to face. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you again for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, before the benediction, 
Uh, let me remind you uh, about 2028 signups. We would love for everybody, uh, myself included, uh, to get that done as soon as possible so that we can be uh, as organized uh, as we possibly can. Uh, let me also remind you there's an election this week, so vote uh, on Tuesday. Uh, now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. Consider him who endured such hardship and opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let him be your joy until the day we see him face to face. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace or stick around for a few minutes and we'll do a little bit of conversation and Q&A. You can text in uh, your questions. You can send those in and Javi's going to kind of be my uh, he's going to feed them to me here, and we will uh, we'll have a few minutes of conversation uh, if you so choose. So, Javi, let me know uh, if there's something you want me to clarify from the sermon right off the bat, or uh, if we've got some comments coming in. While we just interrupt me, Javi, uh, whenever you want me to to switch gears here. While we're waiting, I'm just uh, going to mention again uh, that we hope to, no promises, but we hope to begin to worship together in July. Uh, we have not made any decisions on that, but we are doing the groundwork for that. We, are, uh, we have a team that's working on what does that mean as far as the county's uh, guidelines and making sure we're in the correct phase, making sure we have the right social distancing, making sure that all the things that we need to do uh, to make this uh, area safe for one another, uh, that we do those things. And so we will uh, we'll try to be very careful in our planning uh, as well as in our execution. But we look forward maybe uh, in about a month or so to being uh, together on Sunday morning, at least some portion. And whenever we return, it will be with limited seating. Uh, we can see if we really get everybody here, about 480 in this room, uh, I think the capacity at that point is going to be somewhere around 100 to 120. So we'll continue to stream. Uh, we'll continue to do that so that if folks uh, can't be here, uh, that you'll still be able to worship together with us. Okay, Javi. Yes. Yes. Uh, So that was in the that was in the connections, right? Okay, so Lawrence Outer asked us to remind you, if you have children, that there's a questionnaire in the connections uh, that uh, is looking for information back to us on how we can uh, do children's ministry this summer with all the restrictions that we're experiencing right now. So if you would please go back to that connections in your inbox and in your email and answer that survey, that would be of great help to that group who is, who is working very hard right now to plan uh, some of those things. Did I get that right? The link is in the comments right now, according to Javi. So you can just click on that link. That's how good Javi is. <laughs> and he is really good. He, it, everybody should say, said Javier, thank you. Yes, sir. Oh, somebody noticed. <laughs> Who sent that in, Javi? Okay. I, I, I didn't quite hear you say it again. Paul Hefner sent that in. So, uh, we were sitting out on uh, the bench. The office reopened this week. There were, I think there were three or four of us, uh, and we were our social distance apart. And we got into a discussion about what it's like to worship uh, on streaming and the distractions and whether people are paying close attention or not. And I said, well, there's one way to find out. I'll wear three different shirts on Sunday morning and see if anybody picks up on that. So... Uh, way to go, Paul. I'm, I'm guessing maybe a handful of other people did as well, but uh, just having a little pastor fun this morning, just trying to trying to mix it up a little bit. So I, I am encouraged uh, that that we are paying some attention to what's going on around us. Also, the very subtle hint of the uh, of the church offering box, please. Uh, I got to remind myself and, and uh, let's remind each other we need to continue to, to be faithful in our giving as we can 
uh, given the circumstances uh, that we find ourselves in. Anything else going on, Hobbs? So somebody asked about the signups for 2028. That's also right now in the comment uh, column, greentreechurch.com. That's the link. Did I get that right, Javi? Slash, sorry, greentreechurch.com slash 2028. You can click on that link and you can sign up, which would probably be much better use of Jane Duell asked me how the Lord led me to that particular psalm. Uh, so, Jane, when I started planning this sermon series a few weeks ago, thank you, Jane Duell, for that question. Um, I knew that I wanted to do a topical sermon series. I wanted to look at a variety of different emotions, uh, and we're going to continue. We, this was our third. We're going to go for seven weeks. And so I wanted it to be a topical sermon series, uh, and so I went to the place in Scripture where emotions are most on the sleeve, so to speak, which is in the wisdom literature. So Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs. Uh, and when I got into my study in the Psalms, uh, it just seemed that things began to pop off the page at me. And so when I was thinking about joy, uh, I was thinking about the... Uh, how joy comes and goes in my life. And I, and I was trying to figure out the, the biblical perspective on that. Uh, I knew I had an idea in my head, but I wasn't exactly sure how it lined up with Scripture. And I always want to preach Scripture. I don't ever want to preach Tom Ricks. That's a tremendous waste of everybody's time. And so as I was studying uh, and reading through the Psalms, I came to Psalm 126. Uh, I'd done a word study on joy and uh, in just six short verses, it, it showed up several times. And so then I began to study that passage. And as I began to study it, I began to learn some of the things I shared this morning. So that's, that's how it works in a, in a topical sermon series, as opposed to a, a series where I say, we're going to study the book of Philippians or, uh, you know, go through uh, just kind of verse by verse, so to speak. Good question. So Madison Aubuchon, recent graduate, nursing school. Congratulations, Madison. Way to go. Was asked, how, let me make sure I get this right, Javi. How do we share our joy with unbelievers without kind of ignoring the pain in their lives and just kind of kind of sugarcoating it? Is that is that a fair summation? Okay, thank you. Um, so the challenge there, Madison depends, I would say, depends on the relationship you have with the person. How free do you feel to share honestly with one another? Uh, and if you feel the freedom to share honestly, if you're, if you're friends, uh, if you're good friends, I think you can talk about the reality of the pain in this world, which we all feel Christians are not immune from that pain. In some ways, the Christian's pain can even be intensified uh, and so you have, that, you have that in common with one another. You also have moments of joy in common with one another. I, whether someone believes in God or not, if you are holding your infant child that's just been born or you, you, know, you know, play a sport all your life and you eventually win a championship, there, there are going to be moments of joy and we all have that in common. So I would, I would definitely you know, kind of settle into that commonality and, and share stories but then I think the, the best thing to do is to ask permission of the friend uh, if I could share where I find my real joy and, and what has really meant the most to me uh, through my relationship with the Lord Jesus. And the person might say, no, I'd rather you keep that to yourself. And I would say at that moment, I think you should be respectful. But if the person has any kind of curiosity, they might say, you know what, I don't know if I believe that, but tell me a little more uh, about that. Um, I would say those kind of conversations tend to go much better with people we know well, uh, that we feel safe in conversation with. I, I don't think I should walk up to a stranger in a hospital who's 
who's, who's grieving a terrible diagnosis and say, let me tell you about joy in Jesus. Uh, and, and I'm not being superficial about joy in Jesus. I think that the, the relationship would dictate a sense of respect and a sense of, of, of kindness that would not uh, come across as judgmental or as if the person was off because they were grieving some bad news. So uh, I would encourage uh, that those conversations be built out of friendships that we have with folks. So Joan Kruger asked, is there any uh, chance for follow-up from the, the uh, uh, Boone and Tom and, and Javi uh, Sunday evening conversation? I want to say that was probably three weeks ago now. Uh, I can tell you that, that Boone and I have been trading uh, text messages uh, this week uh, on a pretty significant level, and he and I decided it was time to sit uh, probably on my front porch, would be my guess, uh, and have a cigar together and have a, have a couple hour conversation uh, about where we find ourselves right now. And so uh, I know that he and I are going to be uh, doing that pretty quickly here because we do want to follow up, as Javi just was saying, I don't know if y'all heard him, we definitely want to continue this conversation and try to move in a direction of how do we live our lives? How do we actually engage in this difficult situation in a productive, godly way that's actually helpful for people. Uh, I, I, I think it's appropriate and right and good to call it out uh, when these things happen, but, but there's got to be more than that. And it, it's got uh, to be centered on the gospel. It's got to be genuine. And that those answers aren't, uh, they're there, but they're not simple. So uh, we will uh, definitely follow up with another one of those. We may even bring other folks into that conversation, uh, but uh, Boone and I are going to spend a little bit of time uh, talking and thinking about that together. Thank you, Joe Martin, for sharing that. Even when there's not joy, Cheryl Martin, sorry. Uh, Cheryl Martin said that even when there's not joy, uh, that she finds deep in her heart, uh, there is a sense of peace uh, that comes from being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and Cheryl, um, I, I know a little bit of your story, and I'm very, um, that ministers to my heart uh, this morning that you'd be in a place where you would, uh, you'd be able to say that. So I, I thank God for that. I thank God that it's true. Um, and and that, that's part of your uh, journey today. That's really awesome. Anything else, Hav, or are we good? Because I've, I've gone through three shirts this morning, so I, I don't have a fourth. Can I sign off? Okay, guys, thank you for being with us this morning. Wherever, wherever you joined us from, I hope you have a great uh, rest of, of Sabbath rest. Take, take some, some rest and enjoy uh, your day wherever uh, you are. The Lord be with you. Uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll see you again next Sunday.